Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bigly Blast. Kevin Durant is a two-time Finals MVP, which means he knows very well what it takes to produce on the biggest stage in basketball, but it's been a while since he's been in this position. Entering Game 3, KD is under a white-hot spotlight. He's been a good player in Phoenix. Sometimes he's been really good, but he hasn't always looked like one of the greatest ever in NBA history, especially in Game 2 in Denver when he had a shot blocked by Bruce Brown a six foot four guard and a former teammate in Brooklyn, and at times he's drawn Christian Braun, a six foot six rookie. These are not worthy peers for a player as majestic as Durant. Now there's pressure on him because A, the national media is obsessed with his legacy, and Durant is four and nine in his last 13 playoff games, and B, locally, the Valley is still obsessed over the beloved Mikhail Bridges, who led the league in minutes played by a full two hours and he is under pressure because if the Suns lose on Friday they are cooked now away from the court Katie is clearly a superstar he just received a lifetime contract from Nike which is Michael Jordan territory and he is now a character in Call of Duty in honor that is Devin Booker seriously green with envy but now is the time for KD to be the guy that overshadowed the Super Bowl to eliminate all by regret by performing like a superstar on the court. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable. They've got two great locations. You can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. It's a tough one. Um, I, I can do a better job of putting more uh, scores on the floor and, and living with whatever warts may come with that uh, just to free those guys up so they don't have to do it every single time down the floor. And uh, we'll make those adjustments accordingly. Monty Williams on uh, balancing things without putting too much on the plates of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. And Kevin Durant is certainly under the microscope. Um, again, we've had this discussion. Even when Kevin Durant is not good, he's good enough to get his numbers. And 24 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 blocks. It's a pretty good game. But... He failed in certain areas and shooting. Uh, he, he's coming off his second worst game as a Phoenix Sun shooting the basketball. The only time he was worse was his first home game at Footprint Center mm-hmm. against Minnesota after the delay where he admittedly was pressing and he hit 5 of 18. He's yeah. 10 for 27. Yep. Uh, I don't expect that again. With some really good looks, too. Yeah. Uh, there were some good looks he had in that game. And as Colin Olsen said, as much as people want to rave about the defense Aaron Gordon played on him in the second half and particularly the fourth quarter, I think. Kevin Durant made one of his last nine shots. I think fatigue had a lot to do with that uh, because I do agree with Kellen. Nobody guards Kevin Durant. Yeah, I mean, you, you might bother him a little bit, but there's I don't think there's I don't think he's susceptible in those in that particular way. Um, so listen, I, I know a lot of people are looking for relief from the bench. The statistic is out there that through seven games in this playoff, the Suns bench has been outscored 223 to 100 in seven games. 
To me, if Kevin Durant plays like a superstar, that's enough. That's enough for the Suns to beat this team. Because I think Devin Booker's at a level that you, you were going to get real good stuff from him. If if KD ups his game a tick or two, I think I think this team is going to be good to go. Um, I'm He is one of the main reasons I am really looking forward to tomorrow night's game because as a guy that is a media junkie, uh, Kevin Durant is aware of everything that is being said. Mm-hmm. And and I, he's also very prideful, and he has also stepped up in big-time situations repeatedly throughout his career. I don't think Friday is going to be any different. I don't think so either. Um, Devin Booker was asked yesterday at practice without Chris Paul, um, you know, is this about as prepared as you can be? Yeah, I mean, it puts more on, you know, all of our plates. Um, but, you know, that's, that's part of playoff basketball. That's part of the NBA is just, you know, controlling what you can control. You know, we all wish injuries weren't a part of it, but, you know, it is. And, you know, the teams that can sustain that and adapt um, under those circumstances kind of tend to do better. Yeah, and, and Devin Booker's right. In both his case and Kevin Durant's place, there will be more put on their plate. And quite honestly... I think there's room on both of those players' plates right now. From what we've seen mm-hmm. in, in the first two games, Devin Booker was arguably and probably the best player in basketball in the first round of the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler and Miami fans might argue with that, and you've got an argument, definitely. But he was spectacular. Mm-hmm. He's been okay. And he might be, this This might be something with Devin Booker, too, where, you know, some some guys really want to embrace this challenge. When uh, You remember when Billy Gramatica blew out his knee? Kicking a thirty, celebrating a thirty-seven yard made field goal <laughs> for a four-win football for team. A in four-win the third football quarter. team. Yeah. They they couldn't find anybody to kick. I had nobody to, to kick off after that field goal. And Pat Tillman was the guy who ran up to Dave McGinnis. I'll do it. Let me do it. I want to do it. And he he kicked like a forty-yard scud. But that doesn't matter. It it was the desire. Let me step in and uh-huh. do this. And, and I think Devin Booker is going to feel the same way about. Being the starting point guard. Now, I, I, I personally think that's the way they're going to go with this and have campaign come off the bench. I may be wrong. Um, but, but I do think that, that this is, this, these are the Suns' assets. The bench is not their asset. Now, they might perform better being a home game and feeling more comfortable. And, and like you said earlier, they really are due, some of these guys. But it, it's, it's really going to be where Devin Booker, Kevin Durant takes this basketball team and can DeAndre. Now, without Chris Paul, can he step it up? He was better in game two, but can he go back to being that guy that he was a couple years ago against the Clippers and just really be impactful on both ends of the court? Yeah, when I look at that, what, what he can control in terms of impact, it's it's you know all basically rebounding and defense. Yeah, and yeah that's I mean, what I'm talking about. He's, yeah, I mean, you, it, looking at points, shot attempts, that's not where you gauge how he's playing no. in a game. You got to look at the rebound numbers. The activity was pointed out. The lack of activity was pointed out in game one. I thought he was much better in game two. Shot a high percentage, seven of ten. But you know the ball's got to find him. Yeah. He's not going to create offense. I'm not talking about offense. Yeah. I'm yeah. talking about energy. The the energy that he brings to the court. Marty even said this. When he plays with great energy, there's a yeah. ripple effect to everybody else. Yeah. I'm not looking for points. I'm just looking for energy and hustle and blocked shots and rebounds. And nobody was expecting DeAndre Ayton to win this big man back against Nikola Jokic, who is a much different player than he even was two years ago with two MVPs under his belt. But 
the gap can't be what it has been either because Jokic took that game over. Jokic was the guy who stepped up on Monday night in Game 2 and said, all right, I'm not getting much help. I'm going to do this all by myself. And yes, KCP hit some huge shots. Mm-hmm. But the other, the other players that Denver normally relies on, Jamal Murray, terrible. Michael Porter Jr. wasn't even on the floor for most of the game and yeah. made very little impact. You didn't even notice him. Um, Aaron Gordon was okay, but Jokic was the guy that stepped up. That's what Devin Booker and or Kevin Durant need to do. Yeah, now Josh Okogie is going to have to duplicate his defensive performance from Game 2. I know that Monty Williams, after Game 1, uh, publicly said that he hadn't decided whether to go back to Torrey Craig. Josh Okogie got the start. He responded well. He guarded Jamal Murray 58% of the time and, and did a real nice job. They lost uh, KCP cont- Contavious Caldwell Pope a few different times, and he is a really good shooter. That's one of the, I think, defensive adjustments that they're going to have to be mindful of. Don't leave him alone. He's yeah. good. Yeah. He can make three-point shots. I don't think he's going to go four for four again, though. But he can, he can hit him, and he's, he impacts things on both ends of the floor. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, the story that won't go away for the Cardinals. Tampering charges with the Eagles, and they're still talking about it in Philly. We'll discuss it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And I, I think everybody knows, in any line of work, if they're on an expiring contract or they're under consideration, they still have a responsibility uh, to their employer to do the job the right way. And so they know what they can and can't do. So, you know, I think these coaches realize, you know, as hard as it is, you know, we often hear about a coach, um, you know, preparing for a playoff game at the time he's doing multiple coach interviews. Right, like there, there's all sorts of things that, that go on. Um, in this particular case, uh, I, I just think the Eagles weren't comfortable with the information that they learned. And Jeffrey brought it up to Michael Bidwell. And this is where the organizations wound up. That's Adam Schefter of ESPN appearing on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia yesterday on the Cardinals-Eagles tampering situation, which has been worked out. It's still being talked about in both uh, Philadelphia and Phoenix and around the league, certainly. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, the, the last part of that, I think, is, mm-hmm. is the juiciest part of it. The Eagles were not comfortable with what they found out. Okay. And a lot of this points to dissatisfaction with Jonathan Gannon for maybe being involved in a coaching search while there should have been preparation going on for the Super Bowl. Yeah, listen, and if, if you if you wanted to be critical like this, you can point to three different examples of Jonathan Gannon not exactly being truthful. One, to his bosses in Philadelphia after he received the phone call from Monty Fort. Now, clearly the Eagles believe that if he would have given them a heads up and admitted that the Cardinals reached out to me, that they would have Vic Fangio as a defensive coordinator. That is clearly what they're angry about, because um, there are other reports that, that that claim they weren't fully digging Jonathan Gannon all that much to begin with. And I'm, I'm sure that's maybe not exactly a fair representation of the truth. But I, I think that, the, that that's one example. Mm-hmm. What what. Jonathan Gannon said at his introductory con- uh, press conference, quite a fabrication of how this whole thing went down. And then when he represented the 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 
the interview he did with in Philadelphia when he was being hounded for his job when they were 9-0 and and led the league in sacks. I think you and I both sort of gave him a mulligan on that one because it was sort of an aggregation of everything he'd ex- heard. Yes. But whatever. The point is, the Eagles, whether they're angry or they're not angry, um, this is continuing to circulate in the NFL. It isn't just Mike Florio. At, for Adam Schefter to chime in the way he did, I think added some heft to this. Now, what does it mean in the long run? I don't know what it means. I don't know. I don't know how much it matters. Um, I, I think the Eagles again are are really sort of artificially aggrieved here. Yes, uh, in a way. But but at the same time, I as as I mentioned earlier, if somebody told you that Clancy Pendergast after the Super Bowl lost to the Steelers had interviewed and maybe was distracted, how would you feel about it? it whether whether or not you were right in assuming so, you'd be angry about it. Because that's just how sports fans operate. So I, 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 I understand a little more what's coming from the other side. I still think it's a little overblown. Yeah, I just also think there's, you know... Somewhat of a feeling of, of of real disdain for the Cardinals organization right now with mm-hmm. everything that's going on. There's yep. certain media outlets that have really tuned in, and, mm-hmm. and look, we've had Mike Florio on several times, and I think he's a great guest, and you know we've 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 you know, plugged his books for him, and, and he comes on and he gives great information. But I think he's kind of leading that parade right now of being kind of bothered by everything that the Cardinals do. Well, and, and I haven't heard his yeah. reaction too because he criticized the Cardinals organization uh, and the and the coaching staff and front office for going to support Kyle. Murray uh, at his at his statue mm-hmm. unveiling and saying that that was costing them precious time and preparing for the draft. All accounts are we won't know, but first glance from everybody yeah. who really studies this That's stuff good gave the Cardinals flying. They passed with flying colors in, in Monty yeah. Austin Ford's first. It's draft. a it's a fair point, but I will say this for for this to come out in the NFL draft right before the draft started, I, I think it clearly solidified the Cardinals as the team with the worst reputation currently oh. in the NFL. Absolutely. So, so that story is real. Whether or not, you, whether or not you think Mike Florio's got a, a deal or, or an agenda against the Cardinals, yes, they're in cleanup mode. There's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Uh, other stuff with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Ian Rappaport. Uh, NFL Network insider appeared on the Pat McAfee show, and one of the things that did not transpire during draft weekend was a trade for DeAndre Hopkins. He's still part of the team. He had his Instagram or whatever social media post that was where he said he's working out. Who said I want to leave? Here's Ian Rappaport on the Pat McAfee show. Usually when these things don't happen by the draft, these sort of big moves, like maybe they pick up again if someone else like loses a receiver or something in August or July, but usually by the time the draft ends, like that's kind of, you'll add maybe a free agent or two, but usually it's kind of set. So I would say like based on the conversation where it is, like it seems like they're moving forward together. It seems like that now, but that might be all a negotiating ploy as well. We don't know. And our team's more, you know, itchy to get DeAndre Hopkins knowing that they don't have to give up anything in this year's draft and anything they give up would be 24 or beyond in yeah. terms of draft compensation. Yes. That remains to be seen. Yeah, I think I think that's, um, yes, there, there's no doubt about it. The further you are, are away from the draft, the more easier it is to, to trade draft picks. It definitely the does. the value they, they have, yeah. yeah. Ahead, so, Jared. Well, I was going to say, it, it's definitely filling, though. If the trade does happen, it's going to be for, like, a fourth round pick or something like that, which seems sort of unbelievable when this all started. We were saying like, you know, first round pick, second at the worst, if you go by value of other recent trades for wide receivers, it just feels like 
the Cardinals are almost resigned. They're like, why should we just give him away if he's on board at all? Yeah. There, there's also a subject with the Cardinals that is going to linger for a while throughout this season, uh, parallel to the college football season. The situation that they're in right now, uh, they won't call it a rebuild, but it is what it is. They're rebuilding. They're cleaning up the mess that was left for them. There's a real chance that they're not going to win a whole bunch of games, and they're going to be at the top of the draft. Todd McShay put out his first 2024 mock draft on ESPN.com. He's got the Cardinals with the number one overall pick Mm -hmm. and the pick they acquired from Houston in trading down when they moved up to get Will Anderson Jr. Top two picks in the draft. Mm -hmm. And there's two different ways they could go with that top pick. Caleb Williams is going to be one of the most sought-after quarterback prospects in recent memory if his trends continue at USC, and there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't. Um, So there's, there's some people with the Cardinals on board. Hey, you know what? Move on from Kyler Murray, whatever it takes. Draft Caleb Williams. Todd McShay, in this particular projection, his first mock draft, has the Cardinals trading out of number one for more draft compensation to Tampa with Tampa Bay at five mm-hmm. and and staying true and faithful to Kyler Murray. But this is Well, it all depends on how, on what he does this year, yes, right? But Kyler Murray, we and we talked about he should have been in a prove it year last year, correct? Yep. They gave him the extension. And now the Cardinals are in the situation that they're in. This is kind of the prove it year. From when he comes mm-hmm. back uh, from the injury, whenever that is, yeah, there's going to be some real hard evaluation going on because they're going they potentially have a gigantic decision to well, make in front of the draft. Yeah, that, I, exactly. And it would have been it would have been very fortuitous to not have had him under contract. But yes. again, it, it, to me, if Kyler Murray bounces back and shows enough this coming season where people go, oh yeah, he's definitely the franchise quarterback. Man, that number one pick, if Caleb Williams does create the kind of buzz that people think he's going to, you thought the Cardinals got fat this year trading down, next year would be oh. the year that they just, yeah, it would just be. That's replenishing your entire organization exactly. trade right there. Exactly. That's exactly right. So yeah, they're, so they're set up really good. Now, the only thing that could foil that plan would be the Cardinals or the Texans being good. And not a lot of people see that in either scenario. Oh, there's a lot of excitement in Houston, but the fact of the matter is you got a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback paired together, and that doesn't normally yeah, go very well. Exactly, exactly. I, you and I've I heard people. Oh no, Houston's going to win seven games. What makes anyone think C.J. Stroud's going to roll in there, win the job, and be that good at the start? I, it's, that's that's asinine. So I think and disrespectful to Davis Mills. <laughs> That's right. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> but yeah, this is uh this this could this could be a quite fortuitous for Monty Austin for it. It very well could be. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line. It's open at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, we will check in with our Suns insider ahead of Game 3 against the Nuggets. Kellen Olsen joins Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports. The home of Phoenix Suns basketball. Suns playoff coverage presented by Michelob Ultra. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. And we will talk Suns Nuggets with our Suns insider from ArizonaSports.com. You can read all of his stuff there. In preparation for Game 3 tomorrow night, Kellen Olsen joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. KO, good morning, sir. Morning, guys. 
lots of uh, you know pieces that could be moved around by Monty Williams. He talked about Terrence Ross and T.J. Warren maybe getting some run. Do you think that run could be in the starting lineup for either one of those players, or do you think it's a foregone conclusion that campaign steps in for Chris Paul? I definitely don't think it's a foregone conclusion that campaign steps to the starting lineup. I think it's it's like maybe what makes the most sense, but what I think the Suns have to do is be aggressive with this move. Whoever comes into the starting lineup, I think it has to be a move that pressures the Nuggets and makes them think about the Suns a little bit differently. The only reason that I would be against campaign coming into the starting lineup is because the Nuggets outside of the pace and semi-transition and transition that Payne is going to bring are pretty much going to be able to play the same way. They're going to target Payne defensively in the same way that they did Chris Paul. And then as far as the coverage against him, Jokic is going to drop back like he did against Chris Paul. And they're going to dare campaign to shoot jumpers. They're going to try and protect him at the rim. That's why I more advocate for a move of Damian Lee or Terrence Ross. If I had to pick any guy right now, I think it would be Damian Lee after the way that he played in game two. I know that he didn't make a shot, but I thought that he did very well defensively. He picked up a couple of key offensive rebounds. I thought that he played well overall. I think what they can't do is more of a conservative move. I don't think it can be Torrey Craig. I don't think that it can be Landry Shamit alongside Josh Okogie and the three other guys. I think that it needs to be a more aggressive move to get Denver to change the way they're thinking about guarding them and, and change the way they're thinking about the series as a whole. That's a good point. Uh, how close do you think the Suns are to, to being in this series? When you look at the reaction versus overreaction, where do you fall? Because there's an argument to be made that, and, and I think you made it, that if Kevin Durant has a KD-type game, it's 1-1 and nobody's really tripping about anything. Yeah, exactly. And the way Kevin Zerman and I talked about on the Empire of the Suns podcast later that night was that if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt, I think we would have picked the Suns to still win in six, regardless of if the Suns won that game or not. Because you look at stylistically, schematically, everything that they changed and how effective effective it was in game two, I give Monty Williams and his staff a ton of credit because how they were able to rejuvenate the offense and just get back to their point five stuff to generate not only just threes, but good ball movement that got Denver's uh, defense and rotations, got them shifting around. And you look at the way that they were able to contain Jamal Murray, how much better Josh Okogie did in that department, and how much better the team overall looks defensively. Nikola Jokic was outstanding, but that was more or less by design. The Suns were inviting him to you, you guys saw those positions in the first quarter where Jokic it just felt like he had the ball forever. That's because usually he gets doubled by that and kicks it, but the Suns were not doubling. They're like, no, go ahead, big man. Take, take your 40 or 50 tonight, and we'll try and contain everything else. And they did. The Nuggets only scored 97 points. So I thought a lot of things worked there. And the way that I wrote about it on ArizonaSports.com yesterday is I think that the pressure is now on Denver. And we've just never seen them in this position before. Now, this is not me saying that I don't believe that they can handle the pressure, but but I'm just saying they've never been sort of in this position where they're the substantial favorites, and they're also the favorites to come out of the Western Conference. I think their finals odds. I was looking at this morning. They started at plus 1100 to win the whole thing coming into the playoffs. They're now plus 310. They're minus 490 to win the series as a whole. We knew it was a coin flip coming in. That is not the case anymore according to Vegas, and this is what their whole thing with Jokic and Murray has been building up to. They made all of these moves to be a contender, to be in this position to win the West. I think everyone will agree, and, and it's giving them the respect and the attention that they've been more or less clamoring for over the last two or three years. So you look at the pressure that's on them and the pressure on the Suns is obviously on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. We know those two guys are ready for it. I know Suns fans are upset to some extent that Kevin Durant has played at the level that he's been at, but he's been in this position before. He was down 0-2 in the 2012 Western Conference Finals against San Antonio. After dropping the first two in San Antonio, OKC went on to win the next four. 
in game four. He scored 14 points over four minutes in the fourth quarter to really get that thing to 2-2 two, two and get it to game five split. So I, I think that they can really put the Nuggets in a compromising position and get them thinking a bit if they take game three. The game three really matters for a whole lot of different reasons, but I think that's the main one is get them get them the, t- the taste of their own blood, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Kellen Olsen, our guest here on Bickley and Murata Mornings, and I heard you on with the Wolf and Luke the other day talking about Kevin Durant, and yeah, yeah, Aaron Gordon played nice defense, but still, it's Kevin Durant just missing shots. And Bick said after game two in Denver, he kind of noticed a difference in the demeanor of Kevin Durant. Maybe like, okay, enough of this trying to blend in stuff. My team's going to need me to, to to shoulder more of the load and maybe put up one of those legendary games that you're talking about. I mean, how possible do you think that, that feels right now? I think it's very possible. I think that he is going to be able to feel out the process here and understand how huge this game is. He knows better than anyone what being down 3-0 would be in this series, and he knows better than anyone the lack of production that they've had elsewhere around him. Now, Denver is going to be even more aggressive defending him and Book, so they've got to be cognizant of that and aware of where their opportunities are going to come, but with that in mind, he's a guy who scores on excellent defense and excellent double teams all the time. Like Aaron Gordon deserves a lot of credit, like I was saying on the other show, but I thought Durant, that was a night where Durant should have scored 40, probably 50. I thought it was going to be one of those nights where he takes 30 or 35 shots. He was kind of getting into that area. But once he didn't really have it going in, it was clear that his rhythm and stuff was off. Booker had to do everything at the end again. But I think that this is going to be one of those nights and specifically where if he gets two or three shots to go, that was the thing that you were sitting right next to me. And he just never had those like three or four shots in a row. I think right. there was that one point where I turned to you and I was like, he's finally getting it going here in the fourth quarter when he hit those two shots. And then he missed two in a row. And then it, and then it was, oops, he just never got that rhythm going. And, and- and as you pointed out, yeah, he, he, every quarter was the same. He never had a moment when he got it cooking, which was also very equally weird. Um, Josh Okogie did a real uh, good, a much better job than Jamal Murray. At least it appears he did. And going back and reviewing the game, did he up his level of defense or was it just a bad shooting night from Jamal Murray? He upped his level for sure. I, I like the way that he talked about it at the, at the practice we were at in Denver where he was just like, I, I he, he sounded like he was – didn't want to get in foul trouble early, but he was like hindsight 2020 and all that. But if I would rather have two fouls in the first three minutes than let him get comfortable at the start of the game. And I really like the way that he phrased it. Not that he was the primary defender on Murray necessarily, but he was the first guy to be guarding Murray. And he was the one that let him get in that kind of rhythm earlier. We were talking about with Durant, for example. So I think that he did do a very good job, but I also thought the Suns did a better job of designing a game plan to limit Murray that benefited Akogi as well because Akogi is a really, really good defender. He's probably the best defender overall on the Suns, but he's not going to be in a position to stop Jamal Murray one-on-one when he's going at that kind of level. And that's probably the biggest adjustment from game two to game three we're going to talk a lot about. And we have been talking a lot about already how the Suns handle it without Chris Paul, as that's looking to be the case. But for Denver, their number one thing at the top of the board is going to be how they get Jamal Murray going, and I'm interested to see how they do that on Friday. Kellen Olsen, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. You mentioned it earlier, Suns Game 2 defensive strategy on Jokic was just one-on-one straight up, and he got huge numbers. Uh, but uh, big picture, 97 points, which should be enough defensively for, for the Suns to win a basketball game. Do you think that remains the primary defensive strategy on Jokic uh, going into Game 3? Yeah, for sure. And I think that the main adjustment that Denver is going to note is that after the first quarter, it was kind of clear that there was a lot of talk after game one about how the Suns were the team not really moving the ball. They were the one with the scores. They were the one 
ones that were kind of relying on each guy to do their own thing. And after one quarter, it felt that way for the Nuggets just because, again, they're used to throwing Jokic the ball and having him be just as much of a playmaker as a scorer. But if you guard Nikola Jokic one-on-one, he's going to try to be a scorer, as he should. But in the team picture as a whole, it really slowed down their ball movement, their rhythm. And then they just had a couple shots not go in like the Suns, and that affected their rhythm as well. And the sense in the building, Dan can co-sign this for sure, is like by the mid-second quarter, that crowd was ready to erupt, and they were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And the Suns did a good, such a good job of disrupting their rhythm early that they really couldn't find that flow until those KCP threes at the start of the fourth quarter. Then Jamal Murray gets a shot to go, I believe, and then that's when they really started to explode. So I, I think that they were in a really good position defensively, and they've got a lot of positives going forward because after the first game, I was like, are we really going to look at the end of the series and say that Denver has been the better, was the better defensive team in the series? Not something we expected. And game two was more along the lines of what we thought we would see. Kellen, great stuff as always. We'll also point to uh, ArizonaSports.com where all of Kev- Kellen's uh, written stuff lives, his podcast with Kevin Zimmerman, The Empire of the Suns. Check it all out. Thanks, Kellen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Kellen Olson, uh, Arizona Sports. Phoenix Suns insider joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. There will be some amount of pressure on campaign going into Game 3. We just don't know how much. We'll explore the possibilities of it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the home of Phoenix Suns basketball. Suns playoff coverage presented by Michelob Ultra. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. He's all right. He said he'll be fine. Uh, you, you know, see, he he he, he pretty quiet when it, when something happening because you never know when he's gonna come back. So uh, he just told me to be ready. Uh, I know he's doing fine. He said he's fine, so I was just gonna keep the good spirits going. Cameron Payne on Chris Paul's injury, which should open the door to some degree for Cameron Payne to p- play a much bigger role uh, in a game three and probably the rest of this series for the Suns against the Denver Nuggets. But you no, know, piggybacking off our conversation we just had with Kellen Olson, Bick. Mm-hmm. Kellen's not convinced that campaign is the answer uh, in the starting lineup. He's going to play more. We get it. But uh, the possibility of Damian Lee, Terrence Ross in the starting lineup uh, is still looming as a possibility right mm-hmm. now. And, and I would be real curious to see what that looks like. Yeah. And I'm kind of hoping Monty Williams does play that chess piece as opposed to going with the predictable point guard in for the point guard. Yeah, no, listen, I, I, I'm an advocate for Devin Booker as the starting point guard. I made that very clear. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I think that, but I do think that there's an enhanced role, uh, available for campaign. I, I also find it interesting. A couple of years ago, it's very clear the loyalty and the belief from Monty Williams and campaign has waned. Mm-hmm. There was a time when he was, you know, all about campaign. So, yeah, I, you, I if you even remember the end of this year before campaign got hurt, he essentially benched him for a game and then barely played him in the next game. Yeah, there was uh, there was an insertion of Landry yeah, Shamit back into the rotation, right. and everybody went, "Wait, what?" <laughs> yeah, uh, right. No, that's exactly right. So, so to me, I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the minutes are going to look like, but yeah, that's what I think the starting lineup should be. I think Devin Booker should be given the chance to be the starting point guard on this team because I think he's going to do a really good job at it. The the idea of come be our hero, I'm sure, appeals to to Book. So who would be, in your guys, who would be the fifth guy then? Would would, it be Torrey Craig? Would it be Damian Lee? Would it be Terrence Ross? I'm probably probably on the Lee 
because what what he can give you on both ends potentially. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good defender. And he can hit shots. And I know it sounds weird to say that because we haven't seen him hit shots in a long time, but he was still one of the leading three-point shooters in the league this year. I would start there. Yeah. But I also would would not hesitate to see Terrence Ross plugged in for for key minutes. Yeah, and Damian Lee got a good run in Game 2, and he did a lot of good things, but he didn't make shots, and that's the thing he has to do. And, And He's active defensively. He's better than you think he might be defensively. He was very active at crashing the boards and keeping loose balls alive, and and, and so he did make some positive contributions. Yeah, I think that's probably a real sensible way to go. And he's got the experience of playing with a team that's won championships. So, I mean, uh, how much that bleeds over the Golden State experience a mm-hmm. year later to Phoenix, it's got to mean something, doesn't yeah. it? Well, yeah, it, it does. It does. Um, but, but I also I caution against looking at adjustments and changes as, as anything more than just ancillary parts. I don't think they alone are tickets to victory. I think it's, it's Devin Booker and Kevin Durant being who they are in unison. That's what I think. That's the way. I, now, again, the bench has to be better. They have to make some shots. I just don't think you're going to see a, a, a turnaround where there's suddenly 70 bench points. You know what I mean? No. Stuff like that. You're not. That's not what's going to happen here. But you might get. But you might get a guy in double digits, and then that would help. Yeah, well, that would help a lot. Yeah, uh, and take the pressure off of, of Devin Booker and uh, Kevin Durant. Cameron Payne talked about that subject as well, getting those guys the ball in his new role. Oh, they 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 already got the ball. So <laughs> <laughs> I just I just kind of I just honestly, to be honest, I just got to watch the film. Uh, really, just kind of piggyback off the things that C did uh, back back then. It was the same thing, uh, piggyback on the things that C did. So I'm just going to try to come do the same thing and just add a little bit of my my stuff too. And uh, Payne was asked about Kevin Durant's shooting struggles in Game 2. Honestly, man, I feel like we all struggle. Uh, I, I, I know, K, that man, he cashed, uh, what do you like, 54, 45. Not, like, man, some of those nights are like that. The ball just don't go go the way that we want it to. Uh, it's just it's just how the, how the game goes. Uh, I, I know he's a great shooter, so I know he doesn't want to have a bounce back. That, that's nothing. I feel like we all didn't have a gr- good shooting night, so uh, it's just a team thing, honestly. We talk about this so much every year when the playoffs roll around, Bick, is that feeling when, when things are not going well for a team. You lose a game, it feels like you're never going to win. If a player has a bad shooting night, it feels like Kevin Durant's going to shoot 10 for 27 every game for the rest of the series. Mm. It's impossible not to feel that way to some degree, but Cameron Payne is right. To boil it down that simplistically, sometimes the ball just doesn't go in. And it didn't go in for a lot of people in yeah. game two. It wasn't just Kevin no. Durant. That's the thing that you've got to look at. And, and I don't know what, what fact Factors um, led to that. Um, it, maybe it was just the defense or the just bad shooting, begetting bad shooting. But yeah, I I I think that getting getting competent performances, getting confident performances, feeling like a team um, that's that's dangerous and not preyed upon, because that's the way the Suns have felt to me sometimes in this series. They have not. They've not outside of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. They have not garnered any. Any respect from the Nuggets defense? Not really. Specifically no. to Durant and how his shooting night goes. Tell me if you agree with me. And we right. haven't seen too many examples of it. But when Durant struggles for a game, it's usually because he started out slow. I mean, the game against Minnesota where he made his footprint center debut, it was hard to watch because he kept pressing and he just and he talked about it, trying to get back to 50%. And I yeah. think that's always his mentality. When mm-hmm. he starts out slow, he feels like he should be making those shots, maybe putting more mental pressure on himself. When he starts out 
starts out strong like he did in, in game one when he had 15 points in the first quarter. Shot 12 of 19. Yeah. Now, it didn't matter because the Nuggets ran away and, ran away and hid in the second quarter and, and, and you know kept a, a lead most of the game. But I think an early start is very, very key for what he does. Uh, yeah, I think so, too, because I think if he comes out and doesn't have a good start, then then maybe he's going to you know feel it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there's a marked difference. I, the way he struggled in his footprint center debut was really uh, trying too hard to, to please this real really super friendly fan base that I just dropped in the middle of a trade deadline. Uh-huh. This is so much different. This is this is supposed to be KD time and and for him to be disappointed with himself after game 1 in which he was probably the Suns best player. I can only imagine how he feels now when he was one of their worst. Yeah, again, judging from social media reaction, a lot of the fan bases, the, the whole time Kevin Durant's been here has been, up. Oh, we got Kevin Durant and you don't. Mm-hmm. And now for a lot of the fan bases, like, this dude better step up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I still I mean, have the utmost confidence that he'll do that. So do I. Yeah. I and I expect it. I'm, I'm not only confident of it, I expect it. We need Suns fans more than ever to rally the Valley for Game 3 and Game 4, and you can be one of them. Text TICKET to 620-620. Register and listen for your name during the noon and 5 o'clock hours for your chance uh, to qualify for Game 3 and Game 4 tickets to see the Suns versus Nuggets. That's ticket to 620-620. Coming up next, Sarah Cazell will take us through some social studies. Straight ahead, it's Bickley and Murata mornings here on this Thursday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.